Fueled by the media, fear and panic spread quickly, fracturing and dividing the country until at last the true goal comes into view. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO show on your platform of choice. Everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later if we're still alive. Hmm. So this episode, if we get to the end of it uh, without being quarantined, is uh, <laughs> we'll be talking about a few spots of bother in in the world right now. I've got coronavirus, we've got world markets on fire, oil wars, you know, there's just an absolute steaming pile of whatever and a lot of financial instability. Uh, but more importantly, we discuss what happened during some previous crises around the world. Uh, we're going to talk about how central banks are actually looking to steal money from savers uh, and what they're planning for negative interest rates. And we're also going to look at smart ways to keep protected and calm through a media fuel crisis. So very exciting. No need to panic too much. Um, and uh, yes. <laughs> Don't panic. <laughs> This podcast is not investment or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all or sell everything because it's going to zero. Yeah, so full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, cryptocurrencies and face mask companies, some of which we talk about on this show. But if we talk about a product or anything you can buy, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose and most importantly, avoid the fear of missing out. <sighs> so what have you been up to the last couple of weeks, mate? Um... Yeah, no, look, like not much. Um, I've just been uh, sitting back. I've got my sunglasses on. Got a got a cup of whiskey, uh, which is you know getting refilled. And I'm just I'm basically just watching the markets burn. Um, sitting at home with my apocalypse stash, which I purchased weeks ago. Watching the world burn. <laughs> watching people steal toilet paper from from shops. Right. Um, you know, just just a whole bunch of strange, but you know, sadly predictable human behavior kind of playing out. And the reason I'm, you know, feeling so secure is that I've purchased Jim Backer's Silver Solution. <laughs> it was only a matter of time before all sorts of so-called treatments connected with coronavirus would pop up. Even notorious televangelist Jim Baker is hawking one on television. But at least one group of medical experts is calling it a fraud. This is amazing. Order silver now. Oh please no! <laughs> yeah, so you know, look, I'm um, I'm I'm feeling great, mate. I, I've I've found I've found the cure. Mate, I've found the cure. You will survive the apocalypse, no doubt. What are you, What have you been up to? Mate, I've been reveling in the panic, um, much to the dismay of. Do you know? I've been chatting to a couple of people who are actually quite invested in the markets, and they're not mm. as, uh, I guess, upbeat as I might be. Probably because oh, I've been a perma bear for years, and. Mm. Uh, it's finally nice to see the markets go down a bit, but uh, it's not so good for people who've lost out. But um, you don't lose until you cash out, you know. Um, but, yeah, I've been doing very little to prepare um, for the coming dark age. Uh, I've just been working, yep. really. Um, yep. Yeah, okay. That's, that's been it. Just head down, just as everything crumbles around you, essentially. Yeah, lovely times. Uh, no need to panic. Good. 
Are you certain that you're private and safe online? Check out our new resource at fomo.show forward slash privacy. It's a great repository of our favorite tools to understand and improve your online security. And if you're new to cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, blockchain tech, uh, you can check out our blockchain basic series, which covers the fundamentals. And that starts from episode two, way back in the FOMO archives and continues on until episode eight. This feature is uh, all about remaining calm um, because we're in a bit of a perfect storm at the moment for complete disaster and panic. Um, So we are going to take a very irreverent look at uh, what's going on, trying to avoid the FOMO where we can. Spot a bother up at Elroy Farm. Global hot zones, the coronavirus spreading. Fears grow of a global pandemic. A huge spike in cases in Italy. Hundreds of cases in South Korea. New cases reported in Europe. The CDC warned Americans to be prepared here at home that it's not a matter of if, but when. Thought you might want to do something. What exactly were you thinking? Pub? I have to question the way that the media is fanning the flames of hysteria and panic here and around the world. Go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! you got to sit back and just look at it and laugh, don't you? <laughs> I mean... It, like, really, mate, like, I, you know, I, I'd love to be a psychologist at the moment just watching all this play out because um, it is just fascinating to watch human nature, like, because everything's televised, you know, like with, with the internet, we can look at all of this. Um, and it's probably the first event of its kind, like of this ki- of this kind that's played out when everything's been connected. So, like, we're getting a, a really interesting look into the way that internet kind of feeds that hysteria mm-hmm. and feeds uh, like all the different media narratives and everything else. So like how the internet plays into that. And then also we're getting like a view into what people are doing in response. Um, mm. And just the, like the, like I said before, the sadly predictable ways that people just panic f- because essentially they're told to panic. Mm. Mm-hmm. We, none of us trust the media, but for some reason it seems to, yeah, it seems to lead all those conversations. So um, let's 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 ferment a bit of panic over this coronavirus. Now it's sort of like a pretty serious flu that's very easy to catch, um, and it's you know worst case scenarios are saying it's going to affect you know, millions and millions and millions of people. Um, so most of the world, um, and unless you have immune deficiencies and um, uh, and or or you're old and frail or young and frail, you're generally going to survive it. Um, a lot of people have survived it already, but uh, it's pretty scary. It's all that you can see in the headlines. It's all everyone sees on social media. And yeah, uh, we'll start with one headline. A doctor said that this is the most frightening disease I've ever encountered in my career. What else has been going on? Um, yeah, there was also uh, like Italy, for example. The, the, the virus touched down there a couple of weeks ago. I remember seeing the news about the first case <coughs> that touched down there in Italy. Um, and it ra- pretty rapidly spread. Uh, and they've, um, they've now basically placed the whole of Italy in lockdown. So uh, there's nationwide restrictions all over the place, curfews. Uh, there's prohibitions against people gathering in certain amounts. Um, and it looks like other countries are kind of looking to Italy as almost like an example of 
what people should be doing. Yeah, you've got border issues going on there as well. Um, and you've got concern about potential food riots and, uh, mm. and shortages. Uh, that's, quite a, that's quite an interesting one. And I'm sure many, many of our listeners have experienced trying to buy toilet paper in the last few weeks. Yeah, look, if, um, if you're listening to this and, and a long time in the future, um, it's, it's kind of topical at the moment. But um, particularly here in Australia, I think there's other areas of the world where it's very similar. People have just been buying up all the toilet paper, which is bizarre, very, very bizarre to me. Um, mm. uh, I like I, I, when I did my apocalypse shop about six weeks ago. Um, uh, I bought some toilet paper, but like it definitely wasn't the thing I thought would be off store shelves. Um, what like most of what I got was you know canned food, uh, rice. Um, some sanitary goods, like uh, all sorts of canned stuff, and mm-hmm. just long life food. Um, and uh, I've got some toilet paper, but yeah, it's just it's just bizarre. Mm-hmm. Well, either way, we're gonna uh, towards the end of the show, we're gonna talk about some of the ways that uh, you can thrive and survive in crises like this without uh, without worrying, running out of uh, running out of bog roll. So uh, we'll crack on with that. Uh, interestingly, two hundred ninety million plus students around the world are facing weeks at home. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, that's like a lot of universities are shutting things down. A lot of schools are shutting things down. And uh, I've actually heard, funnily enough, that uh, there's a lot of um, support tickets being opened with companies like Cisco, for example, because everyone is trying to work out how to keep people like learning and being part of the schooling system while they can't actually go to school. Um, mm. But because schools are such a con- condensed area of um, of young people, they're, they're just being shut down across the world, which I kind of I feel a bit ripped off, mate, to be honest. Like this never happened when we were at school. Mm. So mm. like we had to go to school for our entire lives pretty much and like we didn't get weeks and weeks off because of some virus. So. Mate, there's one positive that came from it. Um, some Wuhan students, they were all work like all working from home. They they were given um software to do their homework, um yep. which is some app on the app store. So what they did is they got that app banned from the app store by spamming it with one star ratings. How good is that? No more homework. <laughs> <I'm all> homework. <laughs> oh mate, you love to see it. <laughs> well, let's talk about the big headline to do with the big effect of coronavirus because we're not scientists or epidemiologists and you can do all the research on that yourselves. Well, let's just talk about the effects of the coronavirus. Yeah, so first headline, uh, store shelves across the whole world are emptying fast, according to Zero Hedge. Yeah, you can see like there's, this post has pictures from all across America, all across Australia, all across the UK of just shelves empty on certain goods. Um, there's even a photo of one of the signs that one of these these shops said where it says, we've sold out the following items, all brands of toilet paper, water, um, all different types of water, paper towels, surface wipes, disinfecting wipes, cleanup stuff, hand sanitizer, chicken soup, all canned vegetables, you know, craft macaroni and cheese cases, bags of rice, spam. It's pretty, pretty interesting stuff there. So it looks like some people are really stocking up for trying to have you know, enough food to survive. Yeah, look, and there are some genuine concerns out there. Like a lot of company, countries are locking people down for up to two weeks in their homes and basically making it quite hard for them to leave. So um, it's, uh, you know, it, there are some genuine concerns, but at the same time, like uh, I know like, it's potentially, particularly here in Australia, there's a lot of delivery stuff now. Like you can get, you can get basically anything you want delivered uh, from the big supermarkets. It doesn't cost you very much. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's um, it's interesting. Like I think if everyone just kept, 
you know, buying what they normally buy, um, we probably wouldn't see it. I mean, I don't know what you think think about that, Joe. Or I think fear of panic buying begets panic buying as, as far yeah. as what you hear from there. So, yeah, I, I, th- I think one of the big problems is that in the society that we're in, we're heavily reliant on China for a lot of our medical stuff, mm. for a lot of our pro- uh, produced goods. Um, and when we have – so we, we're experiencing a bit of a supply shock at the moment, um, and that is something that hasn't happened in a very long time. Now, like back in the mm. – Back in the last recession, it was we had a, a demand shock where there was a drop in demand, but not a drop in supply. Whereas here, we've got a drop in supply and a drop in demand all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Problem is, there's like a, a certain over reliance on other countries, and when it comes to having a pandemic, that makes it pretty scary. But I mean, it, you you might have heard of this one before, but there was a video of women in an Australian shop brawling. Over a roll of toilet paper. Yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes. This one, um, this is just yeah, like it's it's bizarre, it's strange. Um, but basically, a lady had a whole trolley of toilet paper. Another lady didn't have any. Uh, words were exchanged. Um, punches were then exchanged. Store members got involved. Um, all over, you know, rolls of of essentially recycled uh, toilet tissue. Mm. So. Uh- there is re- there is plenty of panic, and there yep. plenty of reason to panic. Are you f- are you feeling panic, Joe? Are you? Are you- oh, I'm I'm pretty terrified, mate. I you know it's okay. It's, uh, there's there's no hope for us. Um, that's it. Um, okay. Yeah, end of. Well, look, we like uh, kind of in that light. We've um we've got a voicemail. Uh, we've, yeah, we do. Yeah, and it's someone we haven't heard from for a long time. But look, it doesn't surprise me that with with everything that's going on, and particularly the topic of tonight's episode, that um that. Citizen X, uh, our erstwhile um, truth teller, yeah, uh, self-proclaimed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, has has sent us a voicemail uh, with his comments. Yeah, so uh, our professional sceptic, um, <laughs> he left this for us. Welcome to the O2 messaging service. The person you are calling is unable to take your call. Please leave your message after the tone. To re-record your message, key hash at any time. Hey, Matt, chill, man. I, I just wanted to say, this coronavirus, you need to talk about this. It's a globalist, communist plot for population control and eugenics, man, to kill us all, enslave us with geo-tracking government apps, control, surveillance. It's an election year, Trump's year, Biden's year. The Fed are going to keep pumping the markets and burn them to the ground as a scorched earth policy. I repeat, coronavirus is a controlled demolition of society. You better stock up on toilet roll because shit's about to get real. Wow. wow. That guy's full bat whatever coronavirus insane. Yeah. It's um it's probably worth worth noting that like we don't endorse anything Citizen X says. Right. Um how, how, where where is this guy reading his news? That's just stupid. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I mean, I for one believe everything I'm told on the news. Good. It's it's, it's news to me. You have received one citizen point. <laughs> yes. Always wanted a citizen point. Mate, let's talk about these world markets. Now, what's been going on in the uh, the old global economy? Uh, it's on fire. Yeah. The global economy is on fire. It's burning. Someone's poured rapidly cheapening oil onto the world economy um, <laughs> and then set the thing alight. It's pretty crazy. I mean, we've well, you look at the five-year charts for the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial, 
the FTSE 100 in the UK, the German DAX, the, the India's Sensex or the Japan's Nikkei. And honestly, you've just seen uh, that that's that's moving faster than gravity at the moment. It's it. There's a, been a bit of a cut. I mean, uh, headline, the UK and US markets, um, they suffered the worst day since 2008. That was a headline coming out of The Guardian. Yeah, yeah. And like that was the, the day that things really, really went crazy with the GFC. Um and uh, this was this was the worst day since. So two thousand points were wiped off the Dow. Uh, the FTSE had its worst day since two thousand and eight. Oil giants were hammered uh, because crude oil fell thirty percent. More on that shortly. I mean, I, I, I still struggle looking at these kinds of charts, mate, because having been in uh, watching Bitcoin for the last few years and crypto, <laughs> like I'm just I feel like I'm just so desensitized to like ten twenty percent swings. Like no longer does it seem like a huge deal. <laughs> Oh, it's so true. You know, there's that uh, that gif of uh, um, what, what's this guy's being hung, and there's there's, yeah. there's a guy next to him. He turns around. He's like, first time. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yes, right. that's, that's, that's what the bitcoiners are like. Exactly. They're just like I was. I was. I was born here. Like we. we I was molded by this. Count my teeth on that. On ten percent a day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So to jump into the oil stuff, then, because um, this is really fascinating. So. Uh, uh, Russia basically just told the world, uh, how do you say no in Russian, Joe? Нет. Нет. There's been some interesting developments there. I'll give you a bit of a background because, um, uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting topic. So OPEC, the oil-producing cartel countries that all come together and fix the price of oil, um, they essentially try and work together to, you know, increase the supply of oil or decrease the supply of oil in order to control the price. Now, big, the three big players are really the US, Russia, and Saudi Arabia. Um, the US will almost never cut their oil production or do what uh, OPEC say, but um, Russia and Saudi are really the big players. Now, often they work together. So Saudi Arabia wanted to cut in production so that it pushed the prices higher. Saudi, about 40% of their economy relies on oil. Um Whereas Russia is about 10%. But Russia, yeah. uh, along with Saudi, they both produce oil very, very cheaply. But to Russia, it's not as big a deal. Saudi asked Russia, can you keep the supply, you know, cut the supply and don't produce so much? And Russia usually go along. This time around, they said no. There's a really interesting piece by uh, Tom Luongo um, talking about how Russia can ride out these low prices for a long time. And if Russia ride out low prices, that can has the potential to destroy the US shale oil market because that's very expensive they're doing the fracking to get their oil yeah um so that's and and Russia also aren't taking payment for their oil in dollars US dollars so they have kind of shielded themselves in in a certain way with that and they have a huge stockpile of gold and they've suddenly got a huge amount of control over the oil market Saudi Arabia is now going to be panicking Russia's probably going to give it a few months or whatever but they're going to get some concessions out of Saudi Arabia. So there's been this whole geopolitical play here. And by just by saying no, the, yeah, there was a market massacre. Oil crashed 30%. Yeah. Which it's just, it's, it's crazy how well-timed it is too, you know, like the, the fact that they've kind of waited for this coronavirus thing to reach critical momentum for people to start getting nervous. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, um, they've said no. Yeah. uh, they, they've had a lot going, a bit that's been going on in Turkey as well, like trying to make the Syria deal. That's a whole separate sort of issue, but mm. there's a lot of things happening at once, and yeah, you're right. Um, 
and for the price of oil to be dropping as you know demand for transport is dropping it's pretty interesting and yeah it was there was a bloodbath in the oil markets that day absolute Mm. bloodbath a huge amount of issues happened there and you know foreign exchange rates were in free fall um this is a piece coming out of uh zero hedge Gold um, <laughs> spiked above $1,700 for the first time since 2012, which is uh, yep. gold, which is also known to certain Wall Street Journal experts as a pet rock. What happens now? Well, yeah, then Morgan Stanley said that to stabilize the markets, the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve would need to announce not only a rate cut, but also resume printing money. So, yeah, so on that, um, there's a really interesting opinion piece that came out of Mises.org. Now, um, Ludwig von Mises is like one of the famous... Uh, founders of Austrian economics. So these guys obviously uh, have a bit of a, a, a different angle to a lot of other people in the um, in the economic world. But it's a really, really interesting piece um, where they've basically looked into what the Federal Reserve has done over the last you know month or so, essentially, as, as a response to what's been going on. Yeah. And in their headline, they said, the Fed panicked and its rate cut is making the economy worse. They said that less than a week ago, several members of the Federal Reserve Board reiterated, rightly so, that cutting rates wouldn't have a significant impact in a supply shock like we've got with the current one. And they said they must also remember that the Federal Reserve already cut rates in 2019 and inflated its balance sheet by 14% to almost all-time highs in recent months, completely reversing the virtually non-existent prior normalisation. So the Fed actually create a bit more panic in the markets by doing this emergency rate cut and they cause the opposite effect of what they wanted. Instead of calming the markets, their 50 basis point cut sent a message of panic to market participants. Yeah, and look, they said that if the jobs and manufacturing figures are better than expected and the economy is solid, what message is the Fed essentially sending by cutting rate points? Like it, it, It's essentially, its actions are speaking louder than words in a lot of ways and it, it tells market participants the situation is a lot worse than it seems and the Fed knows a lot more about how dire everything actually is, uh, not only in the United States economy but the global economy. <laughs> they were saying, look, the the idea that a market crash could be solved with easy monetary policy instead of understanding the impact of stocks and growth, uh, there's an evident supply shock due to the coronavirus ec- epidemic. But they're saying, look, there's no lack of monetary stimulus in the economy. There's global money supply has soared to $81 trillion, an all-time high, in the middle of the epidemic. Yeah, and most leading economies have cut rates and implemented zero and negative real rates. I mean, I know here in Australia, they've pulled that lever once already mm-hmm. and there's, there's already kind of people saying, well, that hasn't jump-started the economy enough. Do we pull that lever again? Mm-hmm. And our, uh, our interest rates are rapidly plummeting towards zero here mm-hmm. um, and the uh, the banks are being <laughs> told in no uncertain terms to... Uh, to, to, to push the rate cuts on mm-hmm. to the consumers. And this, the major central banks were already injecting more than $150 billion a month into a oh. doped economy long before the coronavirus was even in the news. That's a lot of money to, to print in a month, isn't it? $150 yeah. billion worth. Mm. The supply shock is a really interesting concept um, and they, they do dig into it a little bit more. They say a supply shock isn't solved with demand-side policies Governments and central banks will generate a deflationary crisis by adding fuel to bubbles and increasing overcapacity in an already bloated economy only to create an unofficial boost to GDP, something that's not actually grounded in reality. Mm, they, they ended on look, cutting rates, printing money and increasing deficits. It's the wrong response to a viral short-term shock. Furthermore, if these massive demand-side programs are launched aggressively, 
the result in the medium term will be a new crisis. We already saw it in 2009 with the, the misguided response of the Eurozone, spending almost 3% of GDP in white elephants and adding debt to a financial credit crunch problem. And that triggered a worse crisis afterwards. And we're going to talk about some of those crises. It's a great piece, man. That's that's um, that's some really good insight into what's actually kind of going on underneath a lot of this. Mm. Look, and yeah, at the end of the day, the coronavirus might be the match, but we've got a really we're, we've we've built an economy on some real dodgy sand, and the monetary issues that we've had for over a decade—they're the tinderbox. Coronavirus is the match. They're coming pretty close together. Yeah, and look, we discussed this uh, about the early signs of what's going on in actually just only in episode 59. So geez, like uh, two, three episodes ago. Yeah. And, um, and that was um, on central banks to unleash billions as QE is rebooted. So if you go to about 23 minutes, uh, you'll be able to find that as yeah, well. And we that, discussed that before yeah, this happened. Yeah. Cause there were some weird overnight rate changes in the markets and um, mm, the repo they were doing yeah. the, the repo stuff. So yeah, the federal reserve just started printing billions to save, save some issues. So it's just super dodge. We're pumping this sucker up and eesh, let's see what happens. And yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, Donald Trump put out a really cryptic tweet. Who knows? He said, who knows what this means, but it sounds good to me. He retweeted from something from his social media advisor. It's a meme of Donald Trump playing the violin. Yeah, and it says, my next piece is called Nothing Can Stop What's Coming. So, interpret that how you will. Yeah. Hey, former listeners. This is Dan Dan, the ICO man, here again, sending out a quick message to you all. I know everyone's panicked about coronavirus. I know everyone is holding up in their homes, building forts out of toilet paper. But, look, you got to look through all that. I mean, this is a strong, strong by signal. Take it from Dan Dan the ICO man, been in the markets for a long time. I say to you FOMO listeners, you need to be buying and buying hard. This will be when you make your fortune. If you really want to know more, sign up for Dan Dan the ICO man's newsletter. Not really selling ICOs anymore, but you will make a fortune with Dan and that's a promise for me, Dan Dan the ICO man. So there's no way the markets can go down. It's only up from here. Love you all, FOMO listeners. Be talking to you soon. Peace. Yeah, I was uh, listening to uh, listening to one of the Kaiser Report episodes more recently. Um, he put some really interesting analysis. Max Kaiser, former tr- uh, Wall Street trader. So um, this is the collapse of this empire, which has been going on for near 40 years because of financialization and the magic of a bond market rally. So every single problem that, see, the the Romans didn't have the ability to simply print their way out of the barbarians invading because they had to rely on hard money to pay the soldiers and they were coin clipping and this type of thing. So uh, there was an end game. Here, because of the empire of American debt, they can just print their way for decades without having to face the music. Uh, but at some point, if all interest rates go negative and you've got a corona weaponized children with the coronavirus looking to eviscerate everyone who's a boomer or a man, a male boomer, uh, then that could be, uh, you know, rah, rah for this next generation who will inherit something like 30 trillion dollars of wealth that's been built up in these affluent bank accounts, including probably 150 billion worth of Bitcoin. So these kids know what they're doing. You know, I, I try to make friends with these kids. I, I give them candy and I, I give them whatever they want. You know, don't, don't 
don't don't give me the virus, kid. You know, it's like this is like <laughs> Halloween and Christmas and everything wrapped into one. Here, take it all. Just take whatever. I just leave me alone. <laughs> Bit eccentric, uh, big Bitcoin guy, but uh, he did really highlight how yeah this interconnected world is really fragile and it just shows how dangerous our just-in-time supply model is. He's like, we've got very few stockpiles of things and there's a double whammy because, yeah, there's a drop in supply as well as a demand shock at the same time. And that's really something we haven't seen since the Great Depression. Um, He suggested that things like rationing could be very closely ahead. Mm. Things like airdrops of cash have been seen recently in Wuhan and Hong Kong, um, where the governments print, mo- well, give money to all the citizens to try and stimulate spending. Mm. But um, he did end on a really interesting note. He said, "Look, even if the U.S. markets drop fifty percent, we're still in a bull market." Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like it's just a, a, a strange perspective, I guess, from him that because um, that kind of goes against all rational thought, but. Yeah, like it, it was a really interesting piece, um, interesting perspective from someone who's been in the markets for a long, long time um, and who generally does have some some interesting takes. Um, but uh, yeah, mate, I, the, the whole thought of um, us actually getting to a point where people are stockpiling food and where there's rationing. I mean, we haven't seen rationing since the Second World War, have we? Yeah, something like that. Sounds yeah. About right. yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. So that'll be something that, that's... That's uh, that's really interesting. So, mm. yeah, should we be panicking? <laughs> Lol. Um, look, I I think we just got to be sensible about what's going on. Like, if if this virus is, you know, like a lot of people are scared of of the virus and stuff like that. But look, like, it's highly contagious from what we hear. Um, and you know, it's it seems like you worst comes to worst, you'll you'll get it. Um, yep. And what happens then? You get really bad flu uh real like real dodgy lungs mm-hmm. uh it's not pleasant but um then most people like the vast majority of people like you've got it's only like three percent of people who've actually been diagnosed die mm. that rate could be between three and five percent so that's three percent of people who've been and the vast majority yeah. of those are above 65 i'm pretty sure too yeah, yeah. old the, the old the immunodeficient so there are like there are some members of our society who are it really could be quite scary for yep. when you're when you're 80 90 yeah it's 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 a lot more serious completely look and if, if it is if you are in that class like if it is something that you are immunodeficient or you're you know you're more susceptible you know that it, it would be perfectly rational for you to think about um self-isolating things like that yeah yeah, yeah makes sense mm. so, so do you think we should be, be panicking no i don't think so Mm. I don't. I don't think so at all. Um, mm. I think just 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 approach it rationally. Look at the situation objectively. I mean, panic doesn't solve anything anyway. That's that's the reality. I mean, panic is an mm. irrational emotion, um, and it's uh, it's often because we don't have things under control. You know, we don't have as much control, maybe, um, which is yeah. why we panic. And yeah. yeah, yeah, fear is being used to try and get us to react in ways that we shouldn't, and that that does concern me a little bit, but. I think there are some sensible things we can do. And I, th- I think what would be really cool, let's have a look at what happens during a financial crisis. Because add to this pandemic stuff, supply chain issues, you know, less travel, um, all this stuff here, quarantines and all that. Um, there's a real concern here for us in Australia because our economy is very heavily reliant on exporting metals to China. Um, and we de- rely on their demand. So that is kind of the definition of a banana republic. But when things go bad for China, it's bad for us. So there's a real possibility 
of a financial, you know, blip, you know, maybe slight problem. Um, no need to panic, but I mean, it's worth looking at what happens during a financial crisis. So it might give us some ideas on what can happen in the worst case scenario. Yeah, and look, like knowing what's going on is a bit of an antidote to panic. You know, I mean, panic is generally people ra- act, acting irrationally, but if you can stand back and look at things a bit more subjectively, um, you, can, you, can size, you can size things up. I mean, people say that there's nothing new under the sun, and that's definitely true with this kind of stuff. So, I mean, what do recessions generally have, Joe? Like, what, what's some key characteristics of a recession? I guess one of them is the government wants to stimulate more economic activity, and sometimes that's mm. by taking on more debt in order to you know, try and stimulate the economy because that's the silly way that we do things at the moment. So, yeah, in order to pay off that debt, they'll want to – put taxes up, they want to cut down government services, massive cuts across government. We experienced that in the UK in the last recession. Uh, A lot of things are called capital controls, which we'll go into a little bit more. So um, there's also also generally changes to work too. I mean, generally there's uh, changes, reduced working hours, um, or a lot of unemployment. I think particularly one big area of concern for people at the moment is the service economy. So Mm. Um, with this coronavirus happening, a lot of people aren't going out in public as much. They're trying to avoid gatherings of large people. And here in Australia and all around the world, there are a lot of people employed in hospitality, a lot of people employed in event management, event um, staffing, and just generally areas that um, that all the way down to like a local gym, for example. I mean, a lot of people are now trying to avoiding going to gyms because that's where people are sweating. That's where a lot of this, like, you know, mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but like a lot of, a lot of body fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those areas are going to be impacted a lot, uh, particularly for people who are casual workers. Mm-hmm. I mean, casual workers don't really have a salary. They just get paid uh, for the hours they work. Mm-hmm. And if there's no work, they don't get paid. Mm. And when you, when you have, you know, like reduced working hours, it's often because the business that you work for, doesn't have as much work for you. But then yeah. that also means that there's less money for you, which means there's less money that you have to spend on things, which means just generally there's a con- like there's a drop in demand for things, which then means, yeah, mm. fewer people want to open new gym memberships, which means, you know, gyms could collapse. You know, there's uh, people have to pay mortgages. What happens when people can't meet their repayments? Um, and this happens on a broad scale, but then you, you, you do get unemployment, like gradually during a recession. It's not in it initially, but after a while of you know, things being bad and businesses really struggling, you do get layoffs and unemployment and businesses collapsing. Yeah, completely. And uh, you, you see that in the, in the monetary side as well. I mean, t- typically in these kinds of recessions and financial crises, investor portfolios drop quite sharply. Yeah, I think um, if you were in the uh, S&P 500 in the last financial crisis, if you just sat there and just left your money in there, it would have gone down 60% over the, you know, over two years, which is which is a geez, bit of a haircut. That's, that's over half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you also see money flock to safe havens. Um, in the last financial crisis, that was government bonds and gold. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, safe havens are trickier to find because this whole negative interest rate thing, which we'll cover a little bit later, and it's a bit of this mysterious money magic, but that has the potential to – it's it's really making it hard to find ways of just making really even small returns. A really interesting example that's really close to my heart is the Greek sovereign debt crisis. That went from 2009 to 2019. So it was after the recession, but it was as a result, you know, it was often, it was triggered often as a result, uh, like a knock on effect of the, the global financial crisis. This was awful. I mean, essentially, um, 
Greece had about 30,000 euros of debt per person. Um, mm. Now, that was that would generally be okay in most countries, except their GDP per capita was about 23,000 euros per person. So their mm. debt was really high. Uh, their public debt to GDP ratio was the world's highest after Japan and Zimbabwe. Yeah, yeah. And, and like Japan, I'm pretty sure have like quite a large, um, like their GDP per capita is quite a lot more significant than, than that amount yeah. too, which is the, the advantage that um, Japan has. But the, the, the Greek one was really interesting because it was kind of a, it was a, uh, almost like a litmus test for a really serious recession in the modern day. They had more than five years of recession, and it was wild. Yeah. It was because they owed a lot of money, and the European Union was. It was that's a there's a whole story behind this, and mm. it's pretty filthy. And personally, this is actually one of the reasons why I really turned to dislike the European Union. But let's just take a look at what happened in Greece during the sovereign debt crisis. Yep. So first of all, there was a, uh, we, we saw major political instability in, in Greece and uh, a, lot, a lot of issues with uh, people were quite obviously uh, upset with their politicians. Mm -hmm. Politicians were pointing fingers at each other. Yep. Um, and there was just a general discontent around the, um, the whole political environment. It was of Greece. so much so that the extreme, not extreme left, but this very radical left-wing party actually won in, a, in an election, which was completely unthinkable mm. the year before because mm. there was so much panic that people were like, we need anything to try and get out of this. And they voted for this party that said, look, yeah, we're going to just cut off that debt to the EU and just say, now we're not going to pay it. That, <laughs> long story short, that didn't happen. But- no. They had to make these massive concessions. There were these major budget cuts across the government, massive tax rises. Almost in 2014, so a few years into this, almost half of their national gross domestic product was tax. Yeah, um, yeah, which is just insane. And when taxes go up like that, people really didn't want to have to pay the tax because the more tax you pay, the less money there is for you. Yeah, exactly. And, and and all that led to people essentially trying to panicking uh, and trying to, for example, take their money out of banks uh, um, to put their money in, in safe haven areas where the, it couldn't be taxed, where uh, the government couldn't get at it. Um, mm. uh, but like even early on, there were capital controls in, implemented by the Greek government. Banks shut for a week uh, leading up to the referendum. Yeah. And there was a cash withdrawal limit of 60 euros a day for Greece, yeah. not foreigners. Yeah, so what that what that meant was that just yeah, you could only you could only take out a very small amount. It prevented a run on the bank. So this was the 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 government was ahead of the people on this, and they were just like, ah, people are going to try and run on the banks. Let's limit what they can take out. They blocked mm. international bank transfers, so you couldn't send your money abroad to another country. Um, but then you had retailers like just the regular shops. They started saying, we only want cash. We don't want mm. to use debit or credit cards because that meant that they had to then pay tax if because it's yep. all digital and it's all measured and the government could access yep. that they were saying we're not taking debit or credit cards we want cash because that's real and tangible yeah and that that in turn meant of course that people were trying to get cash and there were massive lines massive. outside atms yes. there was money running out in all of those atms because the banks were told not to restock them with the cash because they wanted people to uh, adhere to the capital controls and this whole shadow economy started essentially like cash became king if you had cash you weren't subject to the capital controls mm. that everyone was putting on mm. you. And as a result, 
people started evading taxes uh, in in bigger and bigger droves as more and more people mm. converted back to cash. Because the thing is, like, when you're really struggling, you don't want to give the government money. You need to sort yourself out. And that's what a lot of people Completely. were being very selfish in that way. But you can see why. You know, in 2017, like, this tax evasion rate rocketed. By 2017, the government actually, like, this is years, almost oh, six years into it? I can't remember. Um, mm. Yeah, like, a number of years into this, the government were just – seeing there was so much money being evaded on the tax, they forced businesses to install point of sale to accept credit or debit cards. And they gave 1,500 euro fines for failure to install debit or credit card things. Wow. Um, and that's so they could get more tax, more more yeah. collections, stuff like that. They even gave tax deductions to people when they paid electronically. They did all of these measures just try and try and take this money to pay off this government debt. Crazy. Yeah, it was unreal. And the, the big issue was with this, of course, was that um, the, and the reason people were wanting to evade tax so much is because they didn't actually feel like it was their problem. They felt like it was the problem of the government for um, letting this happen, letting mm-hmm. the, letting Greece Bad get management. so far in mm-hmm. debt mm-hmm. Um, and borrowing very, very irresponsibly and then basically capitulating to the, the European Union um, and you know, essentially, because that like mm. they made their their views clear. They wanted to install a government that was going to say, "No, we're not paying." It, the people didn't take out these stu- these massive loans. It was the the government, uh, the politicians, poor management, poor planning. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that so their view, which which like uh, like I think everyone is quite empathetic with, was that it wasn't actually their problem. Yeah. It was the problem of the officials that were in government. Um, like if you're a barber, like imagine that like you're just like, look, it's not my problem. I, why why do you want me to pay for your stupid mistakes? Exactly. Yeah. And I, a lot of them were just saying, well, you know, just do away with it. Like we don't need it. Let's let's just clean house and and you know write all the debt off and and we'll start again and we'll keep going on because. Um, yeah, they, Greece is in, a, is in a country with a lot of uh, large value savings. Um, a lot of the value in Greece, the, the people with a lot of money are foreigners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and they, they felt uh, quite rightfully, I think, that they, weren't, they shouldn't really be paying back that debt. Yeah. But, um, but look, at the end of the day, right. yeah. completely, yeah. And, 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 like, and they had value taken out of their bank accounts, which was, you know, up until that time they thought that the, their money was theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it turned out that their money wasn't theirs yeah, <laughs> if they didn't hold it in cash. The old you know? switcheroo, so, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a really interesting one to watch, mm. but it had some pretty big consequences for Greece. Yeah, throughout this whole thing, their gross domestic product, so the total value of all the goods and services they produce as a country, that dropped 25%. That's like massive. And for a country with yeah. loads of people, like hundreds of thousands of companies went bankrupt. Uh, in 2011 alone, there were 111,000 bankruptcies which was a 30% jump on the previous year. But even then, that means that there were, you know, 80,000, 90,000 in, I'm not good at maths, but in 2010. There's a a lot of bankruptcies. This Mm. thing caused havoc there. Yeah, and and, and, uh, 25% of the population ended up jobless. Uh, There was 55% youth unemployment. Really tough for young people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Homelessness went up, poverty went up. Um, uh, Some stats that said 44% of Greeks were below the poverty line. In 2014, which is actually when I when I visited Greece, wow. um, 
And uh, like I knew things were bad, but even when I was there, I didn't realize things were that bad. Mm. Hunger was a huge issue there. And this is, and the thing is, usually we'd look at uh, other nations that aren't necessarily first world countries, and you'd say, oh, you know, you could, uh, you pity the hunger, and you'd uh, you have a have a rock concert every ten years, and think, oh yeah, let's think about these people who are hungry. But this is a, an issue in Greece, which mm. is, um, mm. yeah, poorly managed economy. But this really hurt the everyday person. And the thing is. Uh, it was horrible. Yeah. Let, yep. Let's just look over the uh, just nearby to a uh, uh, a country right ne- right 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 nearby, Cyprus. Yeah, Cyprus is a really interesting one. So um, Cyprus had a financial crisis in 2012, uh, 2013, and uh, saw some pretty crazy stuff going. So commercial property values dipped uh, pretty quickly by about thirty percent yeah. when, when the crisis started. Yeah, we 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 won't talk about like a lot of the history of this, but one of the big things to focus on in the Cypriot financial crisis was the bail in mm. of some of the major banks. Now, this is a bail in; they it's attempted robbery. They take money off the people who have money in the bank. Now, like most banks, you probably have a bank account where you know your government insures a certain amount of the deposit. Like um, so, in Europe, uh, if you're a European citizen, I, I think it's a hundred thousand euros that you get insured. Yeah. But let's say that you are from another country, like say Russia, and Cyprus is quite close by, and they have good interest rates in their bank accounts. Uh, you're not insured like the Europeans. Yeah, yeah, and look, and that, that, so they were basically saying that they were going to take seven percent uh, of the deposits up to a hundred thousand dollars euro. Um, euro. And ten percent for anything higher. So they were just taking the money out of people's accounts. Basically, they were just saying, "There's money in that account. We're taking it. Yep. There's money in that account. We're taking it. Nothing you can do. We need to protect the banks." Mm-hmm. And as um, part of these uh, massive protests, there, there was uh, because uh, they, yeah, that's they they wanted to take that off um, the people. They wanted to take seven percent of all deposits. They wanted to take ten percent of anything higher. But then there were massive protests, and the government were like, "Oh no, we won't do that." So instead, the government shut down the second largest bank. They took all uninsured deposits, so that's billions, from basically mm. anyone who had an account value above 100,000 euros. Past that 100,000 euros, gone. Yep. Taken. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And another major bank, they kept open, but they took, yeah, they took anything above 100,000 euros, gone. So they literally just stole the money. The government said, look, yep. we, need to, um, we need to bail the banks in. We need to pay our debts. Yep. We're just going to take money, yeah. um, and you know, like, and and it, it was a really, really interesting one because people, Greece had kind of brought it home a little bit, but this was the the real moment when people, like, look from inside and also looking from outside, looked at it and went, "Hang on a second. So what this basically means is that money in the bank isn't actually my money. Like the moment I put money in a bank, it's it's the bank's money, it's the government's money, it's not mm. my money." Mm. Um, and I only had like I, I essentially just have the privilege to remove that mm. until that privilege is revoked. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people got into Bitcoin because of this one in particular because they they were like, well, if government money isn't self sovereign, like if I don't have ultimate control over um, uh, like large amounts of money, mm-hmm. then I need to find something that I do have ultimate mm-hmm. control over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's scary. I mean, they did offer some like you know, if you had more than three million dollars in the bank and you're a foreigner, they were going to offer a pretty quick citizenship by investment program um, <laughs> in order to get, give the people the benefits of a uh, hundred thousand euros saved. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like it's like um, it's like being mugged on the street by someone and then told you can come and. Um, uh, clean their dishes for them. Mate, you would not 
have wanted to retire to Cyprus. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> but um, pretty scary stuff. Um, Argentina. Let's look at Argentina. Argentina is like a country in permacrisis, like mm. permacrisis. It's, it's, yep. uh, uh, yeah. I don't even know the full history of this. But let's just take a real specific look at 2001 to 2. Yeah, so to, in 2001 to 2, uh, Argentina had a like a, a pretty big financial crisis. Uh, there were riots. Um, supermarkets were looted all over the place. And uh, people who were quite angry um, and, uh, and de- depositors in the banks vandalized a whole bunch of banking ATMs. Yeah, and I mean, they're in a permacrisis. Even just last year, late last year, September 2019, Reuters uh, put a headline out, Argentines wait at banks to withdraw cash as currency controls kick in. Mm. There you go again. Yep, they so just restrict what you can take out. Which is weird because like you look at Argentina from like the earlier periods and they were doing pretty well. Like there was, you know, there was some some good stuff going on in Argentina um, but then it's almost like the, the attitude shifted uh, and the government's approach to things shifted and yet now they just can't seem to pull themselves out mm. and they keep rep- making the same mistakes, you know, again and again and mm. again. So, And the thing is you won't get much, like you don't get advance warning that you can get money out of the bank because banks will want to protect themselves so they will, it will only be too late by the time you find out that is bad. Mm. That's the problem. Mm. So yeah. only if you'd taken out money before those banks shut down for a week, would you have been able to be safe in the Greek crisis, for example. Uh, in Argentina, it's, you know, if you're waiting at an ATM, it's too late. Yep. Yeah. Which is kind of scary. Just like if you're trying to find toilet paper now, it's too late. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And <laughs> a lot of listeners are like, this is Greece, this is Argentina. You know, you might be saying, oh, this is Cyprus. These are all these crazy economies. They're not first world countries. But Look, if you think this stuff can't happen in your country, like it might, like it's worth seriously asking yourself, like, is there a chance you're wrong? Now, it's not yeah. certain that we're going to fail. Like, it's not certain. Like, yeah, some doomsayers like, oh, we're going to go to zero. We're going to, you know, be completely collapsed, and everyone's going to be on the street and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know, people want to, and they like make cups of tea and buy McDonald's and things like that. But it's it's definitely likely that you can have financial problems. Yes. Yeah, com- completely. And I mean, no, no one's immune from this kind of stuff. It starts going wrong. And, and there's an article we've spruced a few times uh, on the podcast, which was uh, done a few years ago called Australia's Economy is a House of Cards um, by Matt Barry, it was. Um, and he went through a lot of this stuff. And I think he was probably a little bit off in his timing projections, um, just like a lot of people are like have been off. You know, and I, I mean, I've I've... There's a few people I follow that have been calling this kind of thing happening for a, a few years um, and it's been delayed, but it's a really interesting one to go and look because it, it, he paints a picture of how reliant Australia in particular is on a, just a few factors. Like most countries have a number of different ways that they generate GDP, that they make money, that they you know keep the economy ticking over, but Australia is very, very reliant on China. Mm. Uh, and very, very reliant on a couple of industries. And if you're not from Australia, if you're one of our delightful um, US listeners or our single user from Iraq, um, look, welcome to the show. But also mm. that piece, uh, Australia's economy is a house of cards, really worth looking because if you want to see this is great, things are crazy, have a, have a read of that piece. But one thing that is really interesting to me is that, yeah, the, there's been more cash, as, like printing money, which is like cheating and monopoly. Yeah, that is something that... Um, was completely theoretical and then they just started doing it, printing money. Mm. And it's wild, mm. absolutely wild. Mm. 
There's so much printed money in the, in the market. I mean, I think it's Japan own like 10% of Japanese businesses, which is nuts. Um, but there's a lot of financial problems in there. You know, they've put interest rates down and put them down to try and stimulate things. But it's only a couple moves away. Their interest rates are going to be at zero. What happens next? Yep. Uh, well, once they go to zero, like if, if, it, if things still aren't working, particularly if they're using a, a Keynesian model, which we won't go into um, on, this pod, on this podcast because that deserves an episode in and of itself, um, the only other way they can go is into negative. I mean, you can't – if if things are bad and you're reducing interest rates to try and make them less bad but things are still bad, well, raising them will make things more bad again. Uh, generally, it will actually make it worse than – how bad they were when the rates were there. So you've just got to go into negative interest rates, which until about 10 years ago wasn't even really a thing that existed. Ah, yeah, it was just we ran out of options to try and like all of our policy options gone. Negative interest rates were the way that they're looking at it. Now, if you think this can't happen, have a look at Japan, Sweden, Denmark, Switzerland, the European Central Bank which is going to pass through to the whole of the EU. This is something that the central banks have been very serious about. Essentially, negative interest rates. If you have money in the bank account, they take money off you for the privilege of keeping your money in the bank. It tries to encourage you to spend money, and they'll still take what take money from your account. It's like having a fee for a bank account. But if you borrow money, uh, inversely, the theory goes, you would be paid to borrow money. So you take out a $100 mm-hmm. loan, and they give you a dollar extra. Yeah. So you get yeah, paid- so you- to be in debt, <laughs> which is just, uh, which just makes no sense. But that's kind of where we're at now. We're mm. we're, we're at like we're at peak Keynesian economy, <laughs> essentially. Like that's 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 where we're at. Like we're in, we're kind of in uncharted territory now, and things have kind of been compressing, 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 and we've almost. I mean, if you've ever seen those, um, uh, those like stock graphs, you know how like you have a big swing and then a smaller swing and a smaller swing and a smaller swing. Um, and eventually reaches like a triangle, you know, where it gets really compressed. Oh, yeah. That's kind of like, I feel like that's where we're at mm. with the global economy and the way that we've been handling it for the last hundred years since money printing started. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it's not going to end well. Yeah. That's, that's really the only thing that you can say. And now this is like negative interest rates are, in our opinion, total lunacy. Like, it's crazy yeah. talk. But, you know, that's the situation we're in. That's the economy we're in. We didn't decide on that. But we want to, if there's money in your bank account, just ones and, like, digits on a screen, it's very easy for a bank to actually put negative interest rates in and say, look, this $100 is now worth $99. We'll take that. But if you have $100 in cash, they can't take that extra $1 off you and make that $100 worth less. Or you'd think. So the IMF put, published a really interesting paper back in 2019. They've been thinking about loads of ways of cracking down on cash or taxing cash, which is published last year. And look, in my opinion, these guys are outright thieves. They're to, there's no other way to say it. There's, they're plotting ways to take money off regular people like you and me at scale. And this is like the IMF have published this. Yeah. The International Monetary Fund. And yeah, we I think we shared this last year sometime Um and at the time, governments were saying, oh, we've got no plan for negative interest rates. Um, we've got no plan to ban cash. There's not going to be a war on cash. But then the IMF guidance paints a very, very different story. And the guidance is to all the countries which take their cues from the IMF. I mean, there's no one more senior uh, from a monetary policy advisory level in the world at the moment 
than the IMF. Now, they bury the wording in language that, you know, makes it kind of, you kind of think it's all right if you read the report that we've linked. Um, and he, there's an example in a speech given by one of them. And uh, the speech was called The Case for, un- for Unencumbering Interest Rate Policy at the Zero Lower Bound. Which, it, it, you know, it's so stupid, that name. It's like The Case for Unencumbering Interest. Unencumbering, like, what the <laughs> F? They're saying- how to take money from depositors. It's just wild. Like, you, you see what I yeah. mean? Like, it's the language and no, who cares? It's so boring that even a journalist will fall asleep. So it's just wild. But let's look in this IMF paper on ways of cracking down on cash and taxing cash. There are a few different methods that they discuss that, you know, could be interesting ways of um, getting, getting rid of cash. Let's go through some of them. Cool. So the first one is a periodic requirement for stamps on cash essentially meaning that you pay. So this is this is to discourage paper cash storage. So you'd have to go to the post office or something, you know, once a year with your notes or whatever and uh, you need a specific coloured stamp on it. And <laughs> please, please, sir, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> will you stamp my money to make, you know, make sure that it still holds some value? Yeah, and look, here's what the IMF said. They said, look, despite widespread awareness of this idea, you know, thanks to a this uh, interesting idea that uh, John Maynard Keynes discussed in a book. Oh, praise be. <laughs> oh, love some Keynes. Putting stamps on cash, you know, as, as a tax and charging for the stamps, you know, this is it's not being implemented at a national level. We suspect it's probably because it's politically difficult because it requires, you know, an inconvenient, highly salient bureaucratic machinery to, to implement. And look, because it looks quite obviously like a tax. Um, so what they're saying is we need to put negative interest rates in without it looking like negative interest rates. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it needs to look like a good thing. Mm. Um, uh, they also talk about devaluing cash. Um, so the depreciation mechanism for paper currency, um, basically meaning that like, you know, for example, they could say that, okay, from uh, Ju- July 1 this year, physical cash is worth 90% of electronic cash. Mm. So for every $10 that you have in physical cash, uh, it's actually worth $9, but if you have $10 in the bank, it'll still be worth $10. Mm, that's, which is pretty well. That's a recommendation yeah. from the IMF. Yeah, it's it's an option. It's an option there, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, next one is serial number lottery. Yeah, this is crazy. Look, they said, look, mm. in, in which each year the Federal Reserve could pick a number between zero and nine out of a hat and all bills with a serial number ending in that number would no longer be legal tender. A clever way to achieve a negative 10% um, PCIR. Wow. Okay. Um, and they also talk about the uh, a tax approach. So they say that we you should consider engineering an increasing path of consumption taxes, a decreasing path of labor taxes, and a temporary investment tax credit. So essentially more tax on stuff you buy um, because that would push up the prices for the goods uh, and lower income tax. So- Essentially, that would just mean you get less personal income tax, but the prices of goods are going up. So it sort of means that the government win either way. It's quite there's there's some smarts behind it to do with some in like investment um, uh, investment taxes as well. I think tax reductions, but it's one wild way of basically taking money out of the economy without really people realizing it using tax. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, the, these these hidden taxes. Mm. Um, They've said that a difficulty for that approach uh, would be the tools that are not directly under control of the central bank, um, and they've they've suggested that you you kind of need to politicise those tools. Mm, um, mm. So, yeah, there's some interesting uh, terminology going on in here. Yeah, and they're just saying, look, you can't you know tax 
government putting in taxes unpopular, they won't get voted in. So it's not as easier for us to do. Yeah, you got to got to got to kind of maybe sell the narrative that it's it's for the for the nation or mm. uh, to help us stop a recession or something. Did that um, that previous one, serial number lottery? Did that not sound crazy to you? Imagine you had ten banknotes and they're just like, oh, cool, one of those banknotes is suddenly no longer legal, and you just had a hundred dollar bill that was sitting there, and then they're suddenly it's just not worth anything. Suddenly it's worth nothing. So yeah. weird. Oh, mate, look, it, it just, it, the thing about all this is that it, um, and it's so funny that it's coming from a fund literally called the International Monetary Fund, because what it does is it it actually, like, destroys the value of the money. Mm. Like, it, it makes it makes the money, it, it um, degrades the, the foundation on which that money sits. And you've only got to look at history many, 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 many times. I mean, the Roman Empire is a perfect example. Once, once the currency started getting debased, mm-hmm. People gradually lost faith in the currency, and the empire ended up going bust. You know, they, they just couldn't. Their their money money was just not worth anything anymore. Mm. Um, and toilet roll could happened. be, you know, as Nikolai said in our Telegram group. You know, there's just toilet roll. You just, <laughs> yeah, that could be our currency. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing about money is it's crystallized time. You know, like it's essentially something that it's something that you exchange with someone else to represent value. Mm. Um, mm. And the more you degrade that value, the less confident people are in exchanging that, using that unit of exchange, mm. essentially. Um, so, I mean, w- what they're outlining here is a destruction of faith in national currencies, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying, look, there's nothing that people can do about it. It's just like well, they control what the money that you personally own is worth. And that's scary yep. for some people, you know. It's just like for everyone. For if you're rational, that's scary. Like it yeah. doesn't matter how much you trust them. If your money, they say, is suddenly worth less, that's that's not right. Um, they've and they've they've got a few other options in here too as well. They talk about charging deposit fees for cash. So if you want to put your money in the bank, you have to pay a fee to deposit it. Mm-hmm. Um, having withdrawal limits. Uh, you know, there's your Greece and Cyprus alarms going off. Yeah. Yep. Deposit limits. Yep. Um, charging banks a yearly rental fee. For each banknote, so you've actually got to rent the money mm. from this from the central bank. Mm. And they've they, you know they've talked about you know central bank digital currencies. So you know having oh here's here's a crypto that's the Reserve Bank mm. of Australia crypto. Look, it, it just seems like the whole goal is, uh, and they've they've even said this is one of their stated objectives is to move people towards eliminating cash. Yeah, and they they've noted it is tricky. Look, they look at in India. We talked about that. Uh, I can't remember which episode, but you know, India took out one of the banknotes, one of the higher denomination banknotes from circulation. That was a major problem. Someone is, you know, was just paid in all these notes and then suddenly that worth is worth nothing. And you've just done all this work worth nothing. So they you know they 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 su- suggesting, you know, having a ceiling on the amount that a business can hold in cash. So saying, mm. look, no business can own, can store paper cash or, you know, for more than a week or no business can store more than five grand in cash, you know, things like that. They're, that's what they're talking about or retiring, you know, big notes, big bills. Yeah. Yeah. So it's harder for you to carry cash around and store as much value in, in, um, in, in notes. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, I mean, the only thing that I think if, since they're taking such, inspiration from John Maynard Keynes. I mean, where's the um, appealing to the animal spirits? That's <laughs> that's something that, you know, he'd be a big fan of. So. Oh, mate. Yeah. Uh, no, econom- economist jokes, sorry. <laughs> oh, mate. Sorry. Do you know what? There's, there's even some conjecture that they're going to they're gonna put expiry dates on banknotes. Yeah. Well, that's from me, at least. Um, Imagine that. I mean, that's the, essentially that your money is just becoming a gift card, isn't it? Yeah. And it, isn't that annoying when your gift card expires and, like, you're like, 
this is still worth. Like, why does this need to expire? I mean, yeah, yeah. you know. It's the yeah. old time pressure thing. And that's the thing is it's boiling the frogs. They're going to do it real slowly. Nothing's going to happen overnight. It's not going to be suddenly no cash for you. It's going to be very slowly, real tiny little things at first. Look in Australia. We talked about it uh, late last year. Law that came in saying, look, all cash transactions over $10,000 are illegal. Yeah. So suddenly you want to buy a car with cash? Your card better be worth $9,999. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what's really interesting is the government can actually drop that $10,000 to $5,000 without parliamentary approval. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's already limits built. There's already um, discretion built into those bills. Um, so, yeah, look, it's just it's a case of gradually, 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 but we, we are seeing it happen. And, and, and <clears throat> you know, it, uh, I dare say if there is some serious recession action happening – um, wait, do you just watch it get politicized? Mm, you know, mm, you just mm. watch, watch them say that this is for the good of the good, good of the country, you know, good of the economy. Um, yeah, a lot of doom and gloom. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, I think, I think it's probably good for us to t- talk about some peace of mind during a panic yeah. as well. Yeah, this is really, really important. Now, we'll, we'll cover the food side of things last because that's really interesting on the peace of mind during a panic stuff but um just things on work okay so let's say you know business you know businesses start going down or work becomes hard and you get you know it's worth before there's a problem you know keep keep you know if you're someone is in tech keep building your skills if you're if you if you if you're thinking about it take some online courses like get some like build some more skills the the worst that like it's it can't harm you to be you know have a few more things at your disposal that you can do with yeah uh, and uh yeah that's that skill building is one of the big things yeah basically like make, making yourself more valuable mm. um so so you know if, if if there is if there are issues um your employability goes up your ability to uh earn a living um you, you can draw that from different sources um and and start networking too like it's probably a good time to start you know meeting meeting people from different areas um just kind of get, getting to know more people because you never know where opportunities will come from if yeah. things start driving up, drying up. Yeah, and that's really important for like uh, anyone who's a freelancer will know this. Like if often you'll, you know, you'll do some networking because you need some business and then you'll get business and you'll stop networking. Um, but then all of a sudden like what happened? Like often, you know, you get word of mouth stuff so you keep getting businesses in. But if you're not networking and all of a sudden the business slows a little bit, you're in a problem. But if you're still net, keep that networking going – really can save you during a problem. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, obviously, we've been talking a lot about the finance and that's a, that is definitely a big thing to think about. So um, <clears throat> we're not saying that all this stuff is going to happen, but um, nothing's new under the sun. To do? Yeah. So um, like have an emergency fund. Uh, like, uh, you know, just like you'd have emergency food, uh, if you're worried about food running out, uh, have an emergency stash of money just in case money runs mm. out. I mean, there's no runs on ATMs at the moment. Um, so it's, you know, it's worth considering maybe carrying a bit more cash yeah. than you normally would. Yeah. Or even just in, even if you are just relying on your bank account, like just ha- you know, having a month's worth of expenses, it doesn't take, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen overnight, but you know, mm. over the next few months, you know, if you can just put like an extra little bit aside in a separate account, just until you got like a lot of our listeners probably do already have, you know, um, like, like savings in an account sitting there just in case, but you know, nothing worse than hitting a disaster, you know, like your engine blows on your car and up to a lot of people, that, that's a real panic. But, um, you know, if you got those sitting there, that is better, you know? 
Completely. Yeah, mm. just even if it's 10%, you know, just like mm-hmm. start putting 10% into another account mm-hmm. to see if you've got it there. Um, have some, and also have some funds available for investing. I mean, you read any uh, a book from anyone who's made a lot of money um, investing, most of the time they will say that they made most of their money when everyone else was scared. Mm. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad is the perfect example of, of like a book that, you know, everyone knows it, um, but you hear him talk and he's like, look, I just, when everyone else didn't want to buy, I bought um, and, uh, and that's, you know, he, he made sure he had some money around, um, for when everyone else was kind of scared and, uh, and, you know, turned that into a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've been waiting years for a recession, mate. Right. You've got your, like, you've got a fund ready to go. I, I, I want to get some deals. That's the main one. And thing is, there's only a few times in a, in a decade when, when there are good days, you know, like after an election, after Brexit, you know, things like that, good opportunities and, yeah, I, I want to be you know, re, you know, ready when there's a low point. So yeah, that's something I'm pretty excited about. But um, look, if investing isn't your thing, then then don't bother with that. But having emergency money is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> another thing that's going on is uh, people are talking about airdropping money. Like governments are talking about airdropping money. Yeah, it's happening in Hong Kong and Wuhan. You know, they just give yep. people money to try and stimulate things. Yeah, so I mean, what would you do with yours if you got given a thousand dollars from the government? What would you do? I'd put it into Bitcoin. Oh, nice! I'd just put it straight into Bitcoin. Nice, because um, that's that's money that will hold its value. Yes, it goes up and down, but like on a on a long term um, trend, it's it goes up. I might stick a bit of it in something else, in gold or something. But mm. yeah, um, I'd put that money somewhere. I'd turn it into an asset which is going to store value better over the long term, uh, considering everything we've been talking about. That is smart. Smart. I like it. I like it. <laughs> if, if interest rates do continue to drop, you know, refinancing your mortgage and your car debt. So if you can, you know, refinancing stuff can be smart. Yeah, you make, you make hay while the, while the sun is shining, you know? Completely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You just want to, like, you just really just want to be as flexible as you possibly can. You know, you want to leave your options open. When you see people get really caught in these panic recession type events, it's when they haven't left themselves contingencies, you know, it's when they haven't left themselves options and it's worth just sitting down for a few hours and thinking about, you know, just, just assuming that things may be going wrong for the next year and thinking about how you may handle that and what you'd like to have on hand. If in six months time uh, there's, you know, there's some stuff that's seriously going wrong Mm. and just write it down, you know, and work from that. And it may take you three months to get there, but um you'll have that peace of mind, mm. you know, if, and if it doesn't happen, well, that's fine. Mm. Uh, but if it does happen, you'll know that you'll, you know, you'll be able to weather that storm better than a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. You know, for some of the wealthy listeners of this show, yeah, good to have you here. That's really cool. That you got loads of cash, but don't keep more in the bank than what the government can insure. And you probably know that already, but you know, for example, in Greece, they were saying like a hundred thousand euros is the max we insure. Um, mm it's probably not worth taking, like keeping more in the bank than that. And um, yeah, even then the government will, you know, they, governments have broken their promises on what they will insure deposit wise. Yep. Yeah. If if, if they're feeling the pinch um, and they're struggling to pay debts, the first thing, the first thing that will go is their um, insurance that they've Mm -hmm. said. But yeah, I mean, in Australia, I think it's 250 grand that the government um, insures accounts up to. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, look, I, I would not be as confident that, that that would continue if things go wrong. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah, also like diversifying. I think um, I think looking at finding safe havens for things to put your money into. Mm. They are getting harder to find, but you know there are mm. you know for example during recession there are some businesses that thrive. I mean, look at Domino's during the previous recession in the UK. They they just thrive because yep. people can go to restaurants. They're ordering pizza. So yep. like. Looking at what Magi, oh, people are probably buying more noodles. As well. Look, that's you know, if you, if you can do options trading on Magi, you, you'd be <laughs> making some money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you've got Kleenex shares right now, you're you're laughing. Oh, good, good to see. They're they're, yeah. they're buying more and more toilet paper printing machines as they, as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> probably buying them off the central bank. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. That's wild. worth as much, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I do worry whether that you know if they're you know capital controls as they call it come in whether they're going to say oh look suddenly you can't buy cryptocurrency because mm. it will be quite easy to do in law and they could say to all the banks you're not allowed to send any money to crypto exchanges or whatever yeah so you know before it, it's it's sort of like being in greece before they put the limit on atms and taking cash out yeah i, I i'm i personally i you know keep Keep consistently buying, you know, Bitcoin. I'm using Amber.io. We did a great episode with Alex Fesky on that. Check yeah. out Amber, the app. Uh, if you're in Australia, it's awesome. It just weekly, I it just have a recurring Bitcoin purchase. Don't even think about it. Uh, other cryptocurrencies like Monero as well. Having a bit of cash, maybe you know, as long as it, if you need it. Um, some people are getting physical gold as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And gold, gold is trending up, and it, yeah. it's been. A good store of value throughout human history, so it's it's definitely something to look at as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you just you, you know, it, it's just all about keeping your options open. It's just about hedging. Um, very very good to be hedging against things like this happening. Um, there was a great piece you found, Joe, uh, on panic panic buying versus stockpiling. Yeah, really interesting. This is an Australian blog uh, run by Kath Armstrong. Um, Kath is a massive proponent of just having plenty of stuff there and you know having plenty of groceries in her cupboard and I, let's just read through this piece because i think it's really interesting so she says that my favorite investment is my grocery stockpile i have a stockpile of groceries that we've been happily living off since january and will continue to live off it for at least another nine months our pantry is worth twice what i paid for it and it's saving us money this year a great return on investment far better than anything the banks or stock exchange are offering at the moment. And she says, look, there have always been gloom and doomers, you know, like us on the FOMO show, predicting the end. You know, remember Y2K, bird flu, swine flu, out of control meteors, drought, floods, tsunamis, and now we have COVID-19 and people are panicking. Yeah, they're going crazy clearing shelves of toilet paper, hand sanitizer, UHT milk, baby formula, nappies, pasta, and oats. And look, she says, I'll fess up and I'll say, look, oats made me smile. Don't get me wrong. I have oats in the pantry and I use them. But I just wondered how many people who are going crazy buying bulk oats know any way other than porridge to use them? <laughs> uh, she's right. I mean, I, I, and she says, I've watched some of the TV shows about doomsday preppers, ordinary people stockpiling food, seed, medicines, and even ammunition. <laughs> so they'll be uh, re ready for the end of the world or a future economic collapse or apocalypse. So do I line up with extre these extremists, she says? Not at all. I find it entertaining, but certainly not realistic or practical. She says, our pantry stockpile is built to a plan. I know how much of each thing we need to meet our needs for the year. I keep an eye on prices to make sure I pay the lowest possible price. I keep the best before and use by dates in mind and buy accordingly. And look, she says, look, the other extreme is not to be prepared at all. However, which is 
also unacceptable. To me, building a reasonable stockpile of food, toiletries and cleaning supplies for my family is responsible. It's insurance and for us, this year has paid off. She says, to me, food and household supplies in reasonable amounts are just as much insurance as our emergency fund savings and the insurance policies that cover household disasters. These things give me peace of mind and assurance that I will be able to care for my family and our home no matter what life throws our way. As I said, we face long-term unemployment, chronic illness, and now a pandemic. She says, my pantry stockpile may seem extreme, so what is a reasonable pantry stockpile? Look, think about how you get paid. If you get paid weekly, plan to always have at least a week's supply of groceries, toiletries, cleaning supplies, medicines on hand. If you get paid fortnightly, try to always be a fortnight ahead, ditto for monthly. This then gives you wiggle room if things go pear-shaped. Done reasonably, emergency preparedness in whatever form it takes, grocery stockpile, emergency fund in the bank, insurance policies is not wacky. The peace of mind that comes from knowing that you're prepared really is priceless and it's something everyone can enjoy. And I intend to do everything in my power to encourage you to follow my lead. Um, I just want to like just just mention on that, um, mate. Like I, I can I can personally attest to that. Like uh, when all this stuff started kicking off, you know, like at the start of the year, um, I went out and and basically did this. Like I bought probably uh, maybe three months worth of worth of food. Um, that could, I could just sit in the shed, um, just because I, like, I, I didn't want to have to worry about it. Like if things actually got bad, I just wanted to know that we had, um, everything we needed, um, and we wouldn't have to worry about going out and paying crazy prices or braving crowds or, mm. you know, dealing with crazy people that mm. we could just keep going on with our lives, um, relatively uninterrupted, um, and, and we'd have what we need and, 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 like for me, with our family, like that gave me a lot of peace. Mm. And yeah, just like the f- the fact that you were do- you did that before, prices for these things started going up because that's you know all the demand pushes the prices up. Yeah, mm. that that's that's better than getting a tax cut. Like honestly, that yeah. is, and that's why she's saying that our pantry saves us so much money. But yeah, like a lot, some of our listeners probably don't have a massive pantry and you know don't have you know plenty of food in there. So it seems like oh, having a year's worth of food or all of that it seems crazy. So how do you do it? Actually, really interesting piece that Kath wrote separately on building up a stockpile. She said, look, start off with adding one or two extra basics to your list next time you shop. Might be an extra packet of pasta or sugar or another box of cereal. Continue in this way until you have your stockpile. Aim to have a stockpile that will let you skip grocery shopping for a week. Then aim for a fortnight, a month, and build up to three months. That's smart. You know, if there's a Mm. bushfire, if there are things like that, and especially if you're in a remote country like Australia where you can live out in the middle of nowhere, these things are actually not, they're not, they're not stupid. They're actually sensible. Yeah. And our supply chain, particularly in Australia, is quite vulnerable. Like we, we yes, we produce a fair amount of things here, but a lot of it comes from overseas. Mm. Uh, and you know, you think about it like, what's the first thing if if if, if things are getting tough? What's probably the, one of the first things to go? What's well, it's the the long haul shipping deliveries to places like Australia and New Zealand and the Pacific Islands and mm. places that are a bit harder to get to. Um, whereas you know, if you're if you're on a mainland somewhere, where whether you're in Europe or uh, the Americas or um, China, like you've always got the overland routes, you know, and it's, it's just probably a bit easy to get things. Mm. So particularly for people like us living on an Island, um, not silly at all, mm. you know? Um, and I guess the way that she's done it, like you also avoid the whole, um, 
like looking like you're stop, stocking up with a stupid amount of stuff. Mm, like mm, mm. if you're just buying little bits of ex- extra each time. And it doesn't put so much pressure on, you know, running out of things, you know, because if yeah. everyone's out there going and buying three months worth of food, we're going to have shortages and that is happening. But, yeah. you know, just getting a couple extras every time, so sensible. You're right, 100%. Yeah. How, how, how can we get privacy and security for peace of mind? You know, a little, a couple of little like sort of smaller tips. What, what are some things we th- think about? Yeah, so uh, for privacy, keep information for yourself. Like, don't tell people that you've got a massive stockpile like I've been doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's okay. Like, I, I, you know, I trust you listeners. Um, but uh, it's also, like, it's best not to publicize where you live too, um, mm. or particularly if you just bought a massive style of to- stockpile of toilet paper and, you know, and now mm. ga- gouging your neighbors. Mm. And that, that goes especially for your social media. Best to double-check your location settings on your posts and on your camera on your phone because if you take a photo and stick it on Instagram of your massive toilet roll stock and, you know, your location can be ta- can be traceable through means like that. Now, Instagram may have cut down on this, but it's still possible to find exactly what your location was when you took that photo. Mm. So, mm. Mm. yeah. Yeah, uh, and physical security too. So in line with that, um, physical security is your line of defense um, before the police, um, particularly, you know, if, if a lot of stuff's going on, you know, you, they may never come. So um, locks on the doors, uh, cameras around your property, um, and secure your crypto as well. That's mm. a big one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether it's getting a hardware wallet, if you have a significant amount of crypto, splitting up your keys, storing uh, your keys in separate different locations, um, you know, so you write it down, cut it into three and then put those in three different places that, that, or, or five or 10 or 20 different places, splitting it up. So yeah. it's harder for people to get that because crypto is you know, pretty easy to get. Yeah. Yeah. And look on that. I, I think one other thing, um, that's worth saying too, is think about the security of your transactions as well, because if, you know, if the worst thing does happen and, People start the government start banning crypto or, or like trying to recoup that uh, those purchases back from people who hold it. It's really important for you to have uh, like a, a, you know that not to be traceable to you uh, because then you don't have to worry about that. You can just keep a hold of your your crypto without having to worry about someone confiscating it. So uh, look into like if you're a Bitcoin fan, um, look into something like CoinJoin, for example, which is um, which is basically like a, a um, uh, a feature which everyone kind of puts in their Bitcoin, it mixes all the address up, it ends up in your wallet still, but it's very hard to trace the point of purchase to your actual wallet, mm. which is, you know, just a nice little uh, extra bit of security. Uh, there's a wallet called, um, I think it's called Samurai Wallet. Uh, they're building that in and another one called Wasabi Wallet. They're also building that mm. in. So there are a couple to check out. Um just if, if you want to kind of be have a little bit more peace of mind about not just governments, but like anyone who, knowing that you purchase Bitcoin, particularly if you've got a decent amount of holdings, um, you, you just want to keep that that as anonymous as possible if, if, if that stuff starts becoming really valuable. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, worth looking at things like Monero as well, you know, privacy yeah. coins, private by default, as much as we know. Yeah. And, and on top of all that, you know, just making sure you've got good insurance policies. You know, the last thing you need right now is you drive your car please let you know drive safely anyone who's listening to this and you know you're driving along suddenly you get hit by another car but you know some things can go wrong and you know you need to make sure you got insurance in place things like that um yeah speaking of insurance um lloyds of london has uh a bit of good news has doubled down on bitcoin wallet insurance yeah 
So they've um they've so Lloyds of London are like a massive worldwide insurance firm based in London. Um, and they're getting into crypto in a big way. So they've already insured cold wallets um, where coins are kept offline in secure vaults. Uh, but now they're now looking towards what they call hot wallets. So hot wallets are like internet connected wallets that hold cryptocurrency. Mm, now this is attracting Lloyds because a lot of the cryptocurrency exchanges keep yeah keep their active money in these hot wallets that's moving around on exchanges and. Yeah, um, the, Lloyd's actually, um, they're joining forces with crypto-centric insurer CoinCover. Um, they're, they're aiming to extend liability insurance to cryptocurrency wallets held online, as reported by The Times the other day. The enterprise is designed as a flexible insurance policy, coordinating with the ebb and flow of a volatile market to combat against rising crypto theft. This isn't Lloyd's first foray into crypto insurance. In 2018, uh, they insured the crypto custodial platform Kingdom Trust. However, unlike the new underwriting, Lloyd's insured the firm's custody cold wallets, a significantly less risky undertaking. Mm. Um, despite the recent uptick in crypto hacks, attacks, all sorts of other malicious acts, um, they see an opportunity. Mm. They're saying look, there's growing demand for insurance that can protect cryptocurrency as it becomes increasingly popular. Oh, it's a big deal for exchanges. It really is. I mean, that is that is probably the number one fear for any exchange, Bitcoin, crypto app, uh, is what happens if I get hacked and I lose all the custodial money that I've been um, I've been holding. And there's there's all sorts of strategies people employ to, to deal with it, but actually having someone underwriting that, able to replace the value, um, big, big, big deal. So, And that means that Lloyd's, they're not just paying you if you if your money gets stolen. They're, they're actually getting involved in the security aspect of things. Am I right in mm. thinking that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they'll, um, they, they have a, um, they'll, they'll have like a set of guidelines that they're putting together. They've already, I think they've already mentioned that in the, um, in the article and they'll, they'll essentially like to get insurance from someone like Lloyd's, something like this. Uh, I can guarantee you they're going to have some pretty strict, uh, procedures you'll need in place. It may be something like an ISO 27001. Right, or, yeah, yeah. Um, like some, some, to have some some baseline compliance standards, um, some baseline mechanisms in place so they know that you're doing the requisite amount to protect it mm. um, and the chance that they're going to have to pay out is you know as unlikely mm, as possible. Mm. So, yeah, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, in the past, lots of insurance companies, they've sort of not bothered with the crypto wallet protection for exchanges um, you know, and insuring that, but... For the most part, they've been turned off by big headlines of big crypto hacks on exchanges. But look, the billions of dollars in the crypto market, they're, they're too tempting to avoid forever. That's that's how it ends. Yeah, and I think it's bullish for, for the crypto market in general too. Like I think it, it just means that they see the value in it continuing, they see it growing, and they want to play in the space. So it's, it's, uh, it's great. It's great news. It's really positive. Mm. Uh, next piece of good news, uh, a new Google Chrome extension actually gives access to uncensorable websites. Yeah, so this is um, out of decrypt.co and it's it's, um, it's a Tim Draper-backed uh, effort and they've, they've announced the launch of a Google Chrome extension that allows users to browse uncensorable websites built on Ethereum. Yeah, so um, the extension will allow Chrome browsers to access websites like Draper's own timdraper.crypto and Antley Anthony Pompliano's um, off the chain dot crypto, and he's yeah. So they've said um, the the co-founder of the company Unstoppable Domains has said most people use Chrome. We want the decentralized webs to be just as easy 
to use as the traditional web, and this means that you need as many opportunities and as many tools as possible to search the decentralized web. Yeah, so according to the company, its decentralized domains are not stored by a custodian, so no company, government, or other group can shut down a website unless they own it. Another feature is that a domain can be used as a payment gateway, meaning that these human-readable addresses can be used to send and receive crypto all, all over the world. It's um, Yes, and if that's not enough, once you buy a domain, you own it forever meaning that you won't have to keep repaying external hosts to charge domain users once a year. Oh, that sounds amazing. We need to, we need to get on this. Oh, this sounds great. Crypto. <laughs> yes. Um, they've said that other use cases for their products, according to the firm, include accessing decentralized crypto exchanges and crypto-focused content producers using their blockchain domain to store and distribute their material as they please. Now, it's not you know, completely anonymous, but um, you know, Ethereum can be spied on. It's pseudonymous, but it's still cool. Look, privacy is in development with this stuff and Look, they envision a future where anybody in the world is able to say what they want online without fear of censorship. That's according to their CEO. Yeah, so buck up. Um, things, are, things are still okay. They're still good in the world. People are still doing cool stuff. The world is still spinning on its axis and you're not dead, which is a good thing. Yeah, no FOMO. <laughs> no FOMO. <laughs> Wherever you're joining us from, whether it's from your hospital bed, uh, quarantine hotel room, or if you're stuck on a cruise ship in China, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not wash your hands, drop into our Telegram channel, and say hello. You can find it at fomo.show slash telegram. Know someone might enjoy this? Please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at fomo.show. You can jump on our Telegram at fomo.show slash telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore fomo underscore show. And on YouTube at fomo.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at The FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, why not leave us a rating in your podcast player and subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Awesome. We covered so much ground right, in that episode, that was- man. No wonder you're up so late, mate. That was that was a you you did an absolutely amazing job on that. Oh, thanks, man. It's incredible, man. Oh, dude, that that piece on um oh what was it called? I keep forgetting the headline of it. It was uh, panic buying versus stockpiling. I thought that was so smart, man. Like, yeah, it's just what I like. It's just the right mix. It's not you're not a prepper. It's just like you're being sensible. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. I mean, because I had a kind of. I had that moment too when, you know, when I was like, am I being crazy? Like going to the store, like it wasn't even a big deal in China at that point, but I was just like, I just kind of feel like I need to go and get stuff. Like I was just, mm-hmm. it's probably because, you know, we've got a family now. I was kind of like, oh, I'm just a bit worried um, about, you know, like what, what could happen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right, right, you know, going through Aldi with this shopping trolley full of, like full to overflowing with stuff. And people look at me really weird. Like I put it down on the, on the um, little, you know, elevatory kind of thing that they pull your stuff forward on. And there was that much stuff on there that they actually couldn't do it. We had to manually push it all forward. Huh. Um, so, yeah. but, but um, it like, 
I wasn't doing it because I was panicking. It mm-hmm. was just, it was just because like I, th- I was doing it because I thought it was prudent. You know, and it was like, it was like, no, this is just something that's good to have. Um, it wasn't like I bought the store out, like I barely made a dent at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, mate, like I think, I think that's something that, you know, particularly us as, as Australians and Westerners, we're not used to that to preparing for that kind of thing because yeah. we've never had to yeah. deal with it ourselves. Like we've never lived in Argentina. Mm-hmm. We've never lived in Greece. Mm-hmm. We've never lived anywhere where there's issues with supply chains. But um, yeah, like you say, mate, like it can, it can easily happen. And, you know, it's just something that's worth thinking about. I find it was a really good takeaway from that piece is like, it's not too late. You just like, yeah. if you want to build that up, don't go and do it tomorrow. Don't waste all your money. Just buy like little extras every time. Two things of toothpaste, two things yeah. of deodorant, you know, two things of this, four yeah. things are right. Like just, just twice as much as you might need for just a couple things. Yeah. And it's not, it's nice. It's not like there's no farmer. There's no like rush, buy things out. It's just like, yep. Because you, you, you front run that and that was sensible and that was yep. very responsible but like for the rest of us it's like mm, it's not all over just so it's, it's cool it's cool plus yeah it's cool if you get the virus you get the virus and that really sucks but if not you'll probably get it from somebody else so yep. yeah it's gonna happen yep. yeah you know you just you, we'll deal with it the way we've dealt with everything else mm. just throw our military at it <laughs> we'll just print money until until the thing is solved <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. That was good, mate. Good that stuff, was really man. good. 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 Yeah. Enjoyed that. Ooh. All right. I'm f- feeling a bit sniffly. Yeah, I got a got a got a, a slight twinge in my throat. Mm. Yeah, I got I got a sore back. Must be quarantine him. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I sprained my ankle. I need to go get a test for coronavirus. Absolutely, you can't can't be too cautious in this day and age. <laughs> That's right. This podcast. Uh, <laughs> sorry, mate. I beg your pardon. You no, 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 no. After you, you I insist. Oh, okay. If 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 I must. <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> On to death. <laughs> it's like, what's in this room? Is there is there some some virus hanging around in this room? <laughs> <sighs> Let me put my mask on. Did your voice crack up as you said I'm Matt? I did, was, yeah. Oh. I'll say it again, yeah. 